Most of the young people you talk to today are not trying to play for the Yankees or be rappers. They're trying to be the CEO. You know, they want to be Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk or Emily Weiss of Glossier or, you know, these young people that are changing culture in the world by building their own brands and businesses. And so it just shifted. And I realized, wow, there's this big open lane here about entrepreneurship as a aspiration of youth that no one's really talking about and all these sneaker brands keep talking about who can run the fastest and and i like the way i say it is hey you want to run fast you want to dunk a basketball that's cool and that's very relevant nike is your brand you know if you want to be the cool kid at the party you should listen to adidas but if you want to be the boss or the ceo then listen to k-swiss we stand today the business method with a shout The business method. The business method podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars in annual revenue. And now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results, economies, and cultures. There's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this, and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen. Now, let's jump in today's show. The Business Method. We are five podcasts into our new 100 Major Influencer series, and I have to tell you, I'm really enjoying this series, and I am really inspired by our guest today. Recently, I was introduced to the CEO of K-Swiss Shoe and Apparel Company, Barney Waters. Barney agreed to come on the show, and I'm very glad he did. Barney and K-Swiss are taking their marketing strategy to a completely different level that I have never seen before. They are focusing on making the shoe for CEOs and entrepreneurs. And I have to be honest, at first I was a bit taken back by the strategy. But after talking to Barney and learning more about their purpose and focus, I'm completely on board with what they're doing. In fact, during the show, I thought to myself a few times, I've got to get me a pair of those shoes. K-Swiss is using influencer marketing for new and young hip CEOs and entrepreneurs to promote, and they have even created a very unique partnership with the legendary Gary Vaynerchuk, and Barney shares exactly how that partnership and partnerships with other influencers were created and handled. You guys, I like this show and definitely recommend it. Without further ado, let's welcome Barney Waters to the show. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. And listeners, I want to welcome Barney Waters from LA, California at the moment, uh, joining the show. Barney, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, and Barney, first thing I want to say is thank you for coming on the show because I know you're surrounded by water or wildfires right now, uh, but you're safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, I'm safe. It's been, a, it's been an eventful few days, but luckily my neighborhood uh, missed most of it. We evacuated one night and uh, we're back home now and uh, everything looks good, but many around us weren't so lucky. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. What's the extent of that? Like, so I'm in Thailand at the moment and, and all I see is pictures on Facebook from time to time of people like, oh, we're safe, but look at this massive fire sort of thing. So it's, it's 
uh, what's the extent of it? So it's it's on the outside of the LA area, or is it going through LA? Yeah, no, it's the suburbs of LA. It's um, okay. you know a place called the Valley, which is quite well known, and just outside the Valley in in and um, and, to, and Malibu. So it's north and east of LA as the coast runs runs you know runs east, which is you know you think east of LA you'd be in the ocean, but based on the, the way that the uh, coastline goes, it's actually east and north of LA is Malibu and Westlake Village and all these areas. So it's you know tens of thousands of acres of fires that have spot, spotted up here and there and then the wind has been so strong that it's blowing them and uh, it's just kept this fire moving really fast and firefighters out here are so good they know exactly how to control it but it's been um this has been such a fast moving one they've lost quite a few structures so people lost their houses and wow um, yeah it's been it's been a big one and it's not common to come through la i know it like goes through california and the outside areas right but to go like through blaze through the suburbs of LA is that is that common um no not really and and um although you know you see it in California it's one of the uh, one of the few downsides of living here you know everyone loves California because the weather's always great but there is some downsides and this is a big one and you know it it is actually fairly uh regular you know you get these um you know once a year once every couple years it's just a question of how close it comes to you yeah well, we'll send good thoughts your way, and, and hopefully everything stays safe over there. Um, but thanks for coming on the show, Barney. It's great to have you. And we were introed from another guest of the show, Alex Brown, who's a good friend. And That's right. Yeah, and um, we're glad to have you on the show. I know you guys I, – I, I was flattered to connect with you because I have good memories of K-Swiss from back in the day when I was in elementary school, and I remember I had – one or two pairs uh, back in the early 90s and love those. Those were so cool, but that was back when we were wearing guest jeans and tight rolling our pants too. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's what kids are doing again now. Yes, I know. Everything comes around. I've noticed that. And and um, I was checking out your website and I was like, oh, I wonder if they have those old sneakers. At this t-. And you still have the same model for sale, which is really cool. But you guys are, uh, you mentioned your your kind of changing your trajectory or changing the hair, turning around a heritage brand in the sneaking world, sneaker world. And that's not the easiest thing to do. So we're going to talk about that today and what you guys are doing at K-Swiss and how you're promoting and using influencer marketing. But first, Barney, we'd just like the listeners to get to know you a bit more and kind of figure out how you wound up as the CEO of K-Swiss. Yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm from England. I'm from the suburbs of of London, in fact, Southwest London. And uh, I was, you know, I, I actually was always pretty driven in my career. And I started off in a suit and tie, you know, thinking I wanted to be a sales guy. And um, I did some, you know, telephone sales way back when was my first job. And um, I ended up actually sort of fluking my my way into the marketing department. Um, and that, and it sort of started a, a love affair with marketing. And I was working in the software industry back then. And it was a company called Lotus, which is, a, you know, makers of Lotus 123 or Lotus Notes, if anyone remembers that. Mm-hmm. And it was an American company in England. And it was such a dynamic, well-run company that was just really successful at the time. And I just managed to, you know, get my way into this company and, in the marketing department at such a perfect time. And I just learned so much from so many really, really smart people there. And that ended up taking me to Boston. So the headquarters of the company was in, was in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So 
when I was 23, I saw a job opportunity at HQ and just being, you know, a naturally sort of really motivated and, um, you know, career oriented person, I applied for it. And long story short, they ended up offering me the job and I packed two suitcases and, and flew to Boston and didn't know a soul. And, um, and here I am 20 some years later, still in the United States. So that, that's what brought me over. And I really learned marketing through the software business and eventually through just through people I knew. I, I, uh, I knew some people who worked at Puma, the sneaker company, and I just dreamed of working at a company like that because it was much more interesting and fun than software and technology. And, um, you know, I built some relationships there and I ended up getting an opportunity to go from software to sneakers. And that was a huge transition in my life to be able to do that. And that's sort of when this journey of in the sneaker world started and I've sort of, you know, ridden it up from there. So, so take us into the sneaker world. What, what is it? What's going on in the sneaker world today? So, so here's what's interesting. And one of the reasons like that I love doing this podcast is because um, we can kind of get into your world and your industry. And there's a lot of things happening that we don't see on a day to day basis. We just see the commercials, buy the shoes, put them on our feet and go do our daily things. So, so I know this is a huge industry, of course. Um, but can you take us into the sneaker world and give us a snapshot really quick? Yeah, well, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar global industry. It's massive, absolutely massive. And we've got some huge competitors in this space like Nike, Adidas, and um, and, it, and sneakers are just such a important, such a you know integral part of youth culture you know the you know culture of music fashion um you know art design um and sneakers is just really part of that and it's almost like you know denim i suppose is probably similar in the when you're in the sneaker business you're really in the middle of a lot of energy a lot of creativity young people and um, you know, this is far beyond the old days when sneakers were all about sports. Um, these are now, you know, little pieces of culture that people buy, trade, um, design, um, you know, shows who you are and brands wearing certain brands and certain limited styles tell a lot about who you are. So they're, they're kind of these little silent communication pieces as well. And so it's a really fun, dynamic, uh, competitive industry that, put you in a lot of interesting spaces and connected to a lot of interesting things. Um, so yeah, and it's also something that everybody can relate to, you know, when you're in the sneaker business, everybody gets it, you know, everybody knows it, understands it, loves it or hates it, you know, everyone has an opinion. And so, you know, it's a, it's a very, it helps keep you relevant, you know, in day to day life by being in this business. So I would say that's, that's sort of the, you know, in a nutshell, you know, you're dealing with product that, is anywhere from 50 bucks to a hundred bucks. So it's pretty accessible. Um, and, and like I said, it's been a boom time for sneakers because it's transitioned from sports to just everyday life. And, um, and especially in, in the recent couple of years, athletic wear has become sort of what everybody wears for style. So yeah. the denim industry was hurt by yoga pants, for example. <laughs> and, you know, if you're wearing yoga pants as a female, you're going to wear sneakers to go with them. So the pants has driven a lot of um, athletic footwear sales. So it's really been a boom time in sneakers. Um, and then if you think about 
you know, the NBA or athletes and, and the, you know, the NBA just allowed uh, as of this season, any sneaker to be worn on court. Uh, so they, they let go of their rules. So now the, the NBA athletes are flossing their craziest sneakers and, um, you know, and, and then you've got high fashion brands like Louis Vuitton and Gucci and um, the, some of those biggest, most <clears throat> luxury brands in the world are now trying to be in the sneaker game. So yeah. Um, they're collaborating with with streetwear brands and and bringing on some streetwear icons as their creative directors. So it's really uh, a, f- a fascinating industry that's just getting hotter and hotter um, as, as the months go on. So I feel very lucky to be part of it. So I know uh, K-Swiss has been around since 1966. Is that right? That's right. Yep. Yeah. And take us through a timeline um, since 1966. How I know in the nineties, the they were super huge. Um, how did the, the growth and the popularity progress throughout the years? Yeah. And it's been peaks and troughs, you know, sort of risen and fallen as trends go. Yeah. Um, company was founded in 1966, made a tennis shoe, made a white leather tennis shoe for playing tennis. So it was a specialty tennis um, footwear company founded by two Swiss brothers who moved to Southern California and they, they were skiers, and they realized that skiing is a sport that is, uh, has, requires lateral movement in the foot. And all, most sneakers were, um, were, were designed with heel cushioning for running, you know, or forward motion. Mm-hmm. And so they realized that tennis is a game that is played mostly on the, on the forefoot from side to side, not, you know, a heel-toe motion. So they said, what if we took the... the design elements of ski boots and applied them to tennis to get a really good lateral movement shoe. And that that's what they did. So a lot of the K-Swiss classic shoe that you used to wear, some of those design elements like the stripes and the D rings, the metal rings that your laces go through and this unique three piece toe design all came from ski boot design. Um, and for 20 years, the company only made that one shoe. So the second shoe K-Swiss came out with was in 1986, to give you an idea. Um, so it was a really, you know, one trick pony for a long time, just doing one thing really well. And then in the 90s, like you, like you remembered, it suddenly got hot for casual. And, you know, the white leather sneakers got big. Going into the 2000s then, um, hip hop really took off and the jeans were baggy and and the the big baggy jeans needed a bigger white shoe to fill the space so k-swiss's chunky white shoes got really hot and that was probably the peak of the early 2000s and then over time you know i think trends shifted like um again if you follow the pants the jeans got really skinny and all the indie bands were hot you know the killers and the, the any band that began with the we're all wearing these little skinny jeans and, and you would look like a golf club if you wore a big pair of white sneakers with those. So, uh, it was the Converse Chuck Taylor that fit best. And so trends shifted and case we sort of got left behind. And I think never really recovered and never really reacted to the trend shift and other brands have gotten more popular. And, you know, case Swiss is a nostalgia brand. You know, everyone who knows it says, oh, I remember those back in the day, which is great because that's a great asset to have. But it's also, you know, if you're only a nostalgia brand, that doesn't help you selling today. So that's the sort of the, the place I found the brand a couple of years ago and I took over was really good bones, really good history, but no 
relevance today. And that's, that's where we started. And so one of your strategies today is to, uh, you're working with many influencers, but focusing a lot on the entrepreneurial world. Uh, I'm just kind of curious why you guys choose uh, this niche and um, how it's working for you. Yeah, well, it really came from um, looking at the competitive landscape and realizing that when it came to sneakers, if I was going to try and be a athlete brand, like, you know, K-Swiss in one of the last throws of trying to save itself, they did a lot, they became a running brand and started to make a lot of running shoes. And, you know, that is about as competitive a market as you can get. Right. And, you know, as I took over, I realized even if we absolutely nailed it, we would be 12th, you know, when you, because I can name 10 without breathing, I could name you 10 running, you know, Nike, Adidas, Puma, Reebok, New Balance, Saucony, Hoka, Mizuno. Yeah. Um, and they're all massive companies, super successful. So I just felt like that was a fight we couldn't win. Um, so, where, so I felt like we needed to get back to our roots in tennis, number one. But number two is we, if we were to compete on athletics or sports, we would never beat Nike at that because yeah. they just own it and there's Under Armour is probably number two. At the same time, Adidas has moved to sort of celebrities and rappers to try and find a, some energy and have done a really good job at that. And brands like Puma have followed them there and signing celebrities and signing rappers. And I realized I couldn't compete with that either. If I, you know, There's no rapper I could sign with my tiny budget that would let me win. So... It was really a competitive situation where I felt I had to find an open lane or find something I could win at. And at the same time, there was this cultural shift with young people that most of the young people you talk to today are not trying to play for the Yankees um, or be rappers. They're trying to be the CEO. You know, they want to be Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk or um, Emily Weiss of Glossier or, you know, these young, successful, smart, um, connected young people that are changing culture in the world by building their own brands and businesses. And it's cool now to be the boss, to be the CEO, um, to be, you know, even rappers now are not, it wasn't long ago that they were, you know, it was cool to deal drugs and to be who was the most street. Whereas now in rap, it's cool. Who's the most successful and who's investing and businesses. So it just shifted. And I realized, wow, there's this big open lane here about entrepreneurship as a, aspiration of youth that no one's really talking about and all these sneaker brands keep talking about who can run the fastest and i'm pretty sure that most millennials could give a shit (laughs) so (laughs) um we just said that this is this is an open path uh and uh we could be the first at it and so that's what led us to this idea of the you know the brand mission to outfit and inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs. And I like the way I say it is, Hey, you want to run fast? You want to dunk a basketball? That's cool. And that's very relevant. Nike is your brand. You know, if you want to be the cool kid at the party, you should listen to Adidas. But if you want to be the boss or the CEO, then listen to K-Swiss. And those, those are your clear choices. Very creative. And you mentioned picking fights that you can win. Um, have you have you done that in with any other marketing strategies before? Um, yeah, I've done it. A, I've done it a lot, actually. Um, 
you know, the, the brand prior to this um, that I worked on was Palladium Boots. Mm-hmm. It's an old French military boot brand. In fact, it was, um, it was owned by K-Swiss. K-Swiss had bought the brand, and I, that's what moved me from Puma. I came to rebuild Palladium, and the number one competitor was Timberland, Timberland Boots. And Timberland is an amazing company with incredible product and huge history and a massive market share in boots. And so, again, I just realized that, you know, there's no point going head to head with them on what they do best. So, again, I realized there that um, most people who wear Timberland are not in the forest. And Timberland's whole marketing strategy is, you know, the mountains, the forest, their logo's a tree. So we took this angle of city boots and said, hey, you know, we're not going to beat Timberland at who's got the best hiking boots. So we said we actually make boots for city terrain concrete most people live and um we actually had a no tree rule in all of our imagery so we went we, we wanted to show no trees to make the to make the contrast really clear um and there was a case of picking a fight we could win and we we, we grew from you know 15 million in revenue to over 100 in four years wow so you know um I think that's a great example of just thinking about like take what your biggest competitor does best and contrast against that. Like the principle of contrast is use their strength against them. That's a really good point. I'm curious, Barney, I see so many entrepreneurs kind of follow the fads of what's hot, right? And then they find themselves as a very small fish in a big pond. And so do you have any other tips for those entrepreneurs to help them recognize that maybe they're in a market or going after a market that they just can't win? Well, I mean, there's a reason that we do that is because you know, there's a market that is currently working. So it's much easier to say, well, look, if everyone's already buying something, I want to make my version of that versus I'm going to be so different that I'm going to enter a market that isn't, doesn't exist. Or do you understand what I'm saying? So yeah. it, it, it takes a bravery to go a different route, but also it's pretty smart to go the route where there's business. So I always felt like you need to have at least one foot in the, in, in market opportunity. So, um, you know, even though we make sneakers for entrepreneurs, I have product a product line that is that follows what the market is buying. So I'm always going to still do that, but I'm not going to. That's not going to be my fortress. But I'm going to have an opportunity segment of my business that that does make what the what the market is buying. So, in other words, um, especially in sneakers, if everyone's buying a you know a lightweight mesh running shoe that's the hot item, then you'll find that every sneaker brand makes that item to be opportunistic, but don't live there. Yeah. You know, so, and the other piece of advice I would say is, you know, this idea of finding open ground and picking a fight you can win, it doesn't have to be just at the brand level. You know, I looked at my pricing. In fact, one time uh, one of my sales guys was, was traveling and he was in a store and he called me in, in, in a panic and said, you know, I'm in, a, we have no chance his words, he used slightly more colorful language, but he said, we have no chance. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, I'm standing in a store and I'm looking at our shoes on the shelf and we are the same price or $5 more than Adidas. And he said, how could we possibly win if we're the same or slightly more expensive than Adidas? Right. I just thought he's a hundred percent right. That's crazy. We have no chance 
if we're comparable to a brand that's so popular and well-known and we're trying to find our way back. So we did a big pricing analysis. We just realized, hey, we're, we're, not, we're not picking a fight. We can win. We're setting ourselves up to lose. And we uh, did a pricing exercise to lower our prices. We took a little margin hit and priced ourselves in a zone that was underneath the big competitors in our space. And we started making product for a price zone that was a lot less competitive. You know, it was a lot more open and we, we made a huge gains by doing that. And so that's just a really tactical example of how the same approach can, can apply to pricing is like, look at your competitors. And, and if you're, you know, are you priced to a point where you can compete or win, especially if your competitors are stronger and better known, then you've got to, you've got to have either, you know, the same value as them at a better price or better value than them at the same price. That makes complete sense. Bernie, I know you guys are working hard with influencers these days and you have your podcast, CEO Wear Shoes, and you've gotten some amazing people on the podcast, Gary V, some YouTubers, um, some pretty, pretty rappers actually too, some pretty impressive people. Can you chat a little bit about your strategy using influencer marketing? Yeah, well, actually, it really started with with just the one. So once we had this game plan of sneakers for CEOs and entrepreneur as the as our muse and as our, our voice, and and by the way, our consumer target is the same as the other brands. It's not that there's a bunch of entrepreneurs over in one side of the room with briefcases and then athletes all wearing football helmets. It's the same kid these days, right? So the guy that's on the football team is also skateboarding, is also probably starting his own business or has a Shopify business, you know, there's a lot more diversity and interest of young people right now. So the consumer target of that millennial going into Foot Locker is the same person. It's just that I'm talking to them about something different than Nike and Adidas is talking to them about. So once we had this path that we were going to committed to go down, my next thought was who can really be the face of this for us? You know, who can bring this to life? And, you know, in the same way that LeBron does for Nike basketball or Kanye does for Adidas. And I really struggled for a long time to think someone who's entrepreneurial, but also famous, who's known um, and has some element of cool to them. And all roads kept coming back to this guy, Gary V. Mm-hmm. He was the only guy who was really speaking this language in a breakthrough um, way on social and and but I just thought oh he's he doesn't fit the mold of what a sneaker endorser should be you know he's 40s he's from New Jersey you know he's <laughs> it, you know it can't be him and then I just keep looking and it keeps seeing Gary getting bigger and bigger and I'm like it's he's the guy yeah so I ended up reaching out to Gary and I, I said um, I sent him a message that said do you want to make the first signature sneaker for an entrepreneur which I thought was really like a great way of bringing this positioning to life, almost tongue in cheek because, you know, the model, the old formula of sneakers was sneaker plus athlete equals a signature model, but no one had ever done it for an entrepreneur and no one ever would dream of doing it for an entrepreneur for a sneaker. And I said, that would be a great way to kind of make people go, wait, what? Um, And make people take notice. And he was, he was immediately into it, you know, let's do it. So we met and, and so Gary V became the face of K-Swiss and this, this entrepreneur push. And, and that's, that was going back now to 
um, you know, probably almost 18 months, two years ago. And we've, we're, we're getting close now to launching our fourth sneaker together. And it's been amazing. It's just really transformed our brand energy uh, by having Gary really represent us. And so that that's really what, I mean, our influencer strategy right now is largely about Gary being the face. Yeah. And, and, well done. I'm picking a guy like that. Like he is without a doubt, the guy was that, a, was that a cold email that you sent him Barney or had yes. you, was yeah, it freezing cold? <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. It, but, but you know, and look, these days I say this to people, you, you can get hold of anyone these days, you know, there's no excuse for um, not being able to get a hold of someone. It's just that you have to have a compelling um, value to offer, you know, just writing to someone and saying, you know, Gary, you're amazing. Call me back or, Hey, let's do something. You know, he's not going to do something. So, you know, honing it down to a really specific ask, um, of something that is a value to him, you know, like me, you know, obviously me having ga- someone like Gary on the, on the brand is big for me, but by him having a sneaker has lifted his whole, um, image into, into like youth cultures. It's going to given him credibility in youth culture. Um, and has been huge for him. I think if you asked him, he'd he'd say Cases has done as much for him as he's done for K Swiss. So it's been a really good value exchange and a great partnership. Could you talk a little bit about creating partnerships with an influencer like that? I I think it's fragile ground for a lot of people because um, when you come in with a cold email and not knowing a person, not have worked with a person before. Uh, sometimes it can be challenging for entrepreneurs to create a win-win situation. And yeah, maybe some strategies that you use Barney to make sure that, okay, we're going to, we're going to give value to Gary and also make sure we have a partnership where the value is exchanged harmoniously. Uh, I would say it's, you know, it's, it's very difficult to, to get this right. And, and first of all, I'd say I have a sneaker to offer people, which is, so I'm, I have it easy in that respect. Okay. So I, you know what I mean? It's like when you can go to someone and offer them a signature sneaker is you're, you've got a good thing in your pocket to offer someone. So you've got to, that, that helps. Um, but you know, there's been a lot of talk about my, you know, macro influencers and micro influencers. And the truth is that I think people are tired now of spending a lot of money to have one person with a huge audience, um, post something once. Right. I think people realize that just doesn't break through anymore. There's such a a huge amount of content coming at everybody that it just comes across as inauthentic and it it just passes too quickly to be worth the money. Um, And what's really working more for people is micro influencers. So people with smaller followings who are more, have a more engaged following. And that's now where the buzz or the talk is. And I read an interesting thing recently about influencers saying like having a big audience doesn't make you an influencer. Telling people about a product makes you an influencer. Like, you know, an influ- influence is a verb. So if you're not doing it just because you just have a big audience doesn't mean anything. You have to be uh, evangelizing about something to be influencing people. Does that make sense? That makes really good sense. Yeah. Okay. So most people that are quote unquote influencers are not actually influenced. They're just posting something to a huge audience. Yeah. And isn't influencing. That's just telling somebody something once. Okay. So, um, I think you, you need, 
Gary is a really unique combination of volume and value. You know, he's got the reach, but he's 100% committed to talking about K-Swiss all the time. And he's just doing it because he believes in it. And he's part of it. And I built the relationship with Gary, or we built the relationship together as a partnership, not a pay for posts. Okay. He would never have done that anyway. So we have a relationship where we both make money on the shoes that we make together. So I cut him in more than you would a normal person because he would have, I just knew he wouldn't, he wouldn't do it any other way. Yeah. And I did that. Now he's co-owning it and he's going to really put his heart and soul behind it, which is evident if you follow, if you follow him and hear him talking about us. So I just am wary of, paying money for an influence or someone to say once or twice something about you. It's just not enough. And you need people who are really believers and it's just hard to find someone who's going to do that. And, and, um, for, for, you know, a short amount of money. Yeah. Um, it's difficult. It's the truth of it. And yeah, I think you've got to look for smaller, more engaged, uh, people. And then the other thing is, I read a really interesting the other day about how the old metric was about traffic. It's like, how many people can you get to come to you? Okay. So if I go to a big influencer and get one post, if I get Kim Kardashian to post something, I'm going to get millions of people to maybe come and click and look at something I have. So I'm getting traffic. Okay. Well, that's, that's not enough. So then the, then it became audience. So traffic evolved to audience. And now it's about me giving you content. So when you come, I entertain you and now I have an audience. But what we've created with Gary is community. And that's the next phase of where things are now going is when it's not how many people come, it's how many people stay. Yeah. And, and that's com- when you've gone from traffic to community and we are now building community. So we are building fans of people who are hearing the same thing from us and have, there's a longevity in our relationship with Gary And so now the same people are coming back and engaging with us and staying and talking and connecting with each other. And we're really building something special. So that, that community only comes by having people who are really committed and part of your brand, not just telling people once for traffic. It's a long-term play, right? Yeah. With, with a small set of believers, it's really hard. It's not easy. It's not easy, but I think the the authenticity of creating partnerships like that are so much, I don't know if healthier is the word, but health, healthier for the long term and you really have somebody that's a supporter. Like now Gary V is a true fan of K-Swiss, right? As opposed to maybe you give him X amount of dollars, he makes a post. Is he really a true fan or did he just do that for the money sort of thing? Yeah. And by, by the way, I just, just, you know, I will just step back one second and say that what's critical is that your brand or your business is really meaning something beyond the product. I think that's what we've ultimately created here is we're not necessarily talking about, you know, having a hot sneaker. We're talking about outfitting and inspiring entrepreneurs yeah. it's a much bigger goal than making set making a shoe and selling you a shoe is now people the conversation we have with our consumers is crazy it's like they talk about their lives and their dreams and 
Um, they're telling me, telling me about their business plan. We get this all the time through social, these kind of conversations. And people say, I look down at my feet and I see my Gary VK Swiss sneakers and I think I've got to work harder today or stay true to my mission. And that's pretty unheard of, I think. I mean, I don't know anyone who looks down at their um, other branded sneakers and thinks anything like <laughs> I'm going to the gym, you know. So yeah. I think when you try and build a brand with meaning beyond the product, um, a deeper meaning, and, and, and especially if it can create emotional connections to your consumers, you're in a, just another level of connection with them and, and loyalty, which, which is what brands really are. Yeah. I, I, I think that's pretty amazing because you're right. Like um, people, that's actually unheard of, which is so cool on how you're creating that. And I know you're a big fan of authenticity and having authentic marketing and communication that would go hand in hand with creating these long-term partnerships with these influencers, right? Because again, you're not just creating a post, um, which many times is not an authentic form of communication, but just something to help people boost some stats quickly, as opposed to now you have this guy that you're one of your main partners that's bragging about you all the time. And that's massively huge and it's authentic too. Yeah. And, and authenticity and, and, and transparency is what we're really trying to, um, to do more of. And number one, I think we've just seen that with other businesses and I've, I've learned that by watching others. Um, and especially a lot of these new, um, you know, digitally native companies are doing a great job of transparency and you know who people are in those companies. They're not faceless companies. They're, they're companies where you know the founders and they're talking and they're telling you and they're telling you what they're made of, what the, what the product's made of. They're telling you what their pricing is. You know, you look at a brand like Everlane is doing transparent pricing. They'll tell you what they spend on materials and shipping and they'll tell you what margin they make. So I think we've learned that from other companies about how powerful transparency can be and consumers are expecting it now. And the other thing was, you know, I talked earlier about the, the principle of contrast, taking your biggest competitor and trying to make their strengths their weakness. You know, we, when you look at the massive companies we're up against, um, the size of them is daunting. However, if you use that against them, it means that they become these big unknown companies that have huge corporations and so us being transparent and showing who we are and talking about ourselves and letting people in our doors to sit behind the curtain is a competitive, um, you know, tactic. You know, it's, a, it's another, you know, tactic to be differentiated is to say, okay, I can't be the biggest, but I can be the most transparent. So we're, that's why we're doing the podcast and why we're, we're making uh, the Inside Case with series, which is a YouTube show about what we're doing. It's like, hey, this is who we are and what we believe in and come inside the office and see us and see what we're doing. Yeah. So, you know, I think um, I've, I've used transparency a little bit as a competitive differentiator again and to use our small size not as a weakness but as an advantage because we're able to do that stuff without having to go through multiple layers of approvals and PR people and senior management approving it and editing every episode we just make it and stick it up the next day yeah i think i think that's genius and and one thing that i've noticed and i've actually just noticed this this week um is youtube ads and the youtube ads that stop me 
are the ones of an influencer or somebody that pops up that I respect, um, and they're behind the scenes in whatever they're doing. And it sucks me in, right? And it sounds like you guys are doing that too. And and people want to get behind the scenes of their favorite shoe company. You know, they want to see what's happening, you know, with the influencers and how you guys are doing your podcast. And, and that draws people in and makes them loyal, loyal customers. Well, you know what it was is I, I, one day we were at the, um, we were talking the we were in this, you know, 90s has been a big trend. So I was thinking, hey, there's some 90s films or some older films. And we, somebody had called us from Ghostbusters. Now, Ghostbusters is in the 80s, but I, but it's a retro film and we make retro sneakers. And Ghostbusters is having their 35th anniversary. And so we're talking about doing a, a commemorative sneaker. And so we went to the lot um, and we were on the lot in, in Hollywood to have a meeting. And as we were standing outside that building, that we were standing next to the Ecto, uh, you know, the, the big station wagon Ghostbusters car mm-hmm. uh, and i just thought we were just all like that's another day at the office but i'm like wow you know how many people would be amazed to see this yeah a lot <laughs> and that's that was the moment where i said we got to shoot this stuff we should have a camera here with us and show people like the stuff we're doing it's really cool and people would be fascinated to see inside a sneaker company especially a comeback story so that's really what sparked that idea and but you're absolutely right about the the more produced your content is these days, the less people trust it. You yeah. know, people are yeah. anti-advertising. If it's too slick, um, people just don't just think they're being, you know, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to smart, outsmart them. Yeah. And yeah. it's like somebody said once, I think it was Peter Thiel's quote was something like, don't do, never trust anyone in business who's wearing a suit. <laughs> you know, in other words, they're, they're trying to hide something. Yeah. Um, and and the roar of the content, the more real it is, the more more engaging it is. That's the bottom line. Unless it's Warren Buffett, he wears suits, right? I mean, that's why. Yeah, but I think he does wear sneakers. <laughs> yeah, probably. But he doesn't hang out on Wall Street. No, no. And you know, our podcast is called CEOs Wear Sneakers, and the 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 play there is that you know a young CEO today does not look like what you think a CEO is, and I love that idea that we're the brand that's showing you talking about CEOs and showing you a guy like Anwar Carrots, who's a 25-year-old African-American guy with long dreads that just a good-looking, cool guy that runs his own fashion brand that everybody wants to be this guy. I'm saying that's a CEO. And it's really empowering, you know, to show what, to use the term CEO, but show young people, show minorities, show women. And, um, that's the truth of it. And they're wearing jeans and sneakers. You don't have to wear a suit and be an old white guy anymore in a boardroom um, to have power in business. You can be anyone and you can wear what you want. You know, people are buying your vision and your smarts, not what you look like or your gender or your, you know, any of that stuff. And so I think that I love that. And so CEOs wear sneakers is really saying like this, things are changing and we're part of that positive change that, Young people are empowered to be anything they want to be. And so I'm trying to bring CEOs on that are not who you think of as a CEO and change change people's minds about what's possible. I love that, Barney. And I think that's an excellent way to wrap up the podcast. Um, I'm actually very inspired from listening to all your tips and tricks and wisdom. And if if the listeners wanted to reach out, Barney, and learn more about what you guys have going on, where's the best place they could do that at? 
Well, I spend most of my time on my, on my Instagram account at Barney Waters. Um, although LinkedIn has really taken off for me recently, I've realized I get a lot of engagement on my content on LinkedIn. So I'm trying to do more on there. Um, again, you'll find me at Barney Waters. And then I think for, for K-Swiss, you could check our podcast, CEOs Wear Sneakers. It's on all major podcast channels. And uh, if you go on YouTube or on our Facebook page, you can see some of our video content, which is we call Inside K-Swiss, which are some little short videos we've made about things we're working on. And, um, and hopefully you're interested by it if we've done a good job. But any attention that we get or anyone who's checking us out, we need all the help. We need all the, all the support at this point. Uh, we're making some great progress, but we have a long way to go. So uh, I really appreciate you including me in this and spending the time with me. It's been an honor to have you on the show, and you actually really inspired me by your strategy. And I thought to myself, I'm going to have to check out some K-Swiss sneakers to see if I I go back to America for Christmas every year, and I'm like, I'm going to have to get me a pair. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I sold a pair of sneakers today. I'm doing my job. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Um, well, thanks again, Barney. We really appreciate you sharing all your tips and tricks and wisdom. And it's been really, it's been an honor to have you on the show. We're going to wrap up there. And listeners, thank you guys for tuning in once again. And we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.